0: recovery elevator episode 81
1: so that's the thing i hadn't realized about our problem is that it's progressive so if i drank today which i'm not going to i would pick right up where i left off
0: welcome to the recovery elevator podcast my name is paul thank you so much for joining us According to the recovery elevator sobriety tracker on my phone at the time of this recording I've been sober for one year 11 months one week and three days on today's podcast. We've got Julie She's been sober for 118 days She's an extremely creative person who's held the same job in marketing for almost 20 years Before we go any further in the podcast episode. I'd like to ask you guys a favor I'm sure some of you have noticed I sponsor myself. Yep Not above it, not trying to hide it. I sponsor myself by saying, now let's hear from Cafe RE. However, with a lot of organic growth, because I really don't know what the hell I'm doing, I'm getting some interest from some advertisers. So if you could do me a favor, go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash survey, and there will be a link to this podcast 81 in the show notes and fill out the survey. Again, you can do this on your computer at home. You can do this on your mobile phone while you're waiting in line. Now, this quick survey will determine if Recovery Elevator gets a sponsor for four-wheel-drive off-road vehicle parts or a cool resource for people in recovery. Again, if you find this podcast useful, you like it, do me a quick favor. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash survey and fill it out. On today's podcast, we've got Julie. She's 46 years old. She's been sober for 118 days, grew up in Maryland and on a military base in Germany. But before we hear from Julie, let's talk about some loud and proud, sober musicians. And there will be a comprehensive list of all the musicians mentioned in this podcast episode on the recoveryelevator.com website, show notes, episode 81. I was already aware that some of these musicians were sober, but some of them came as a surprise. Let's get right into this. First one is Steven Tyler. This Aerosmith frontman maintained sobriety for 12 years when he became seriously clean in 1988. Though that streak was comprised by a relapse into prescription drugs in 2006, Tyler checked himself into the Betty Ford Clinic three years later and has said to be dedicated to sobriety ever since. And Stephen, he just doesn't want to miss a thing. Nice job, Stephen Tyler. Next up, we have Neil Diamond, or the guy who makes every dance party awesome with that song, Sweet Caroline. Neil finally commented publicly about his sobriety two years ago, stating that he had achieved sobriety since 2011 after decades of alcohol and drug use. According to Young, he wanted to see what life would look like from a sober perspective. And he's been going strong ever since. I wonder if in this new perspective, that girl Caroline is still so sweet. Next up on that list is Elton John. Elton John is a boss. That's a fact. Elton John has been sober for over 20 years. The main source of inspiration for his own sobriety was witnessing the death of Ryan White, an Indiana teenager and poster child for HIV AIDS. Elton John felt that as a gay man, he needed to get his life together to help those suffering from HIV. According to many different sources, Elton John claims that getting sober has been his greatest achievement. Boom. I think you've heard me say that once or twice on this podcast. The more time of sobriety that I get, the more distance I have from my last drink, that is becoming and probably is my greatest achievement next up we got ringo Starr. the drummer from the beatles has been sober since the 80s a time which he is referred to as an alcoholic haze today mr ringo exercises three times a week practices daily meditation and is a vegetarian next up we have tom waits known for his booze drenched voice and persona waits has been sober for over 20 years now and credits his wife kathleen in helping him get there The singer went to AA, and though he's happy now in recovery, he says that it was definitely a struggle. Yeah, I hear you there, Tom, to say the least. Next up, we got Keith Urban, and I am comfortable enough in my sexuality to say this is a good-looking man. Keith Urban battled with drug and alcohol addiction since the 90s, and Urban also salutes his wife, Nicole Kidman, for intervening and helping him get sober. Side note, there have been other publications crediting Kidman for a couple relapses, but that's neither here nor there. So Keith Urban, after being sober for six years in 2004, Urban found himself drinking again after marrying Nicole Kidman and having to cope with time apart during her filming obligations. Man, after six years of sobriety, that's crazy. One day, after returning home from a shoot, Kidman staged an intervention. Urban re-entered rehab in October 2006 and has rededicated himself to sobriety. I have not seen Keith Urban live, but I hear he is loud and proud about his sobriety on stage. Nice job, Keith. Next up, we got the Red Hot Chili Peppers frontman, Anthony Kiedis. Kiedis, the singer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, has been sober for years after having grown up alongside an addict, his father, and later becoming one himself. Now he's dedicated to fitness. You may have seen him on the cover of Men's Fitness, and they have him listed as one of the rock stars with the best abs. Interesting story about Anthony Kiedis. I believe he witnessed the overdose of a bandmate and has been sober ever since. Next up, we got Chris Martin, a.k.a. Coldplay. Martin openly talks about the days when he used to use and drink, but now he's dedicated to being clean and sober. In fact, Chris Martin rarely even drinks coffee. Man, how do you do it? Next up on the list, we have James Hetfield. This would be the Metallica lead singer. Hetfield entered rehab in 2001 and has been sober ever since. His journey has been documented in the film Some Kind of Monster. Wow, that is a comprehensive list of rock stars who are sober and still doing great in their profession. You've heard me say on the podcast that I'm one of the lucky ones. If you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to get sober or you are sober, you are one of the lucky ones indeed. These are some musicians who were the lucky ones. Now let's chat about some who weren't so lucky. I want to dive deeper into one of these stories after the interview. First off, Amy Winehouse. Amy died of alcohol addiction in 2011. She died of an accidental overdose. Winehouse had so much going on but turned to drugs and alcohol due to stress in her life, which was a sad story. Next up, we got Whitney Houston. We mostly hear about Whitney Houston's cocaine use, but there's a huge underlying issue, alcohol. Heard me to say this again, alcohol, in my opinion, is the gateway drug. Next up, rapper Flava Flav. This might be a myth, a fable, or a way to sell more albums. I don't even know if this is possible. The Rapper Flava Flave has had his license suspended at least 43 times due to DUIs. That can't be true. But this next one is true. Billie Holiday is dead. Yes, she died at 44 years old due to alcoholism. She died of pulmonary edema and heart failure caused by alcohol-induced cirrhosis of the liver on July 17, 1959. Next up, this guy, this songbird with a very unique, amazing voice, is ACD singer Bon Scott. He died of alcohol poisoning combined with choking on his own vomit after a night of heavy drinking on February 19, 1980. He was 33 years old. Next up on the list, we got Hank Williams. Not Hank Williams Jr., not Hank Williams III, the original. Hank Williams died on January 1, 1953 as a result of hemorrhages in his heart and neck. His chronic alcohol abuse was believed to be the factor at his death at age 29. On July 3, 1971, Jim Morrison died of a heroin overdose after a heavy night of drinking. He was 27 years old. The heroin might have been the underlying factor there, but again the gateway drug, alcohol, was heavily present. Next up, on September 25th, 1980, Led Zeppelin drummer John Bonham died after drinking over one liter of vodka. He was 32 years old. Next up, we have country musician Keith Whitley. He died of alcoholism on May 9th, 1989. The only reason I know of Keith Whitley is that great song he partnered with Alison Krauss, When You Say Nothing At All. Great song. His blood alcohol level was 0.47 at the time of death. Whitley was 34 years old. Next up, after years of alcohol abuse, Russian composer Modest Petrovich Mosgovsky died on March 28, 1881. Hmm, Russian composer, not surprising. I wonder how composers express their downfall, their concern, their distaste for what's going on in life in an avenue that does not have words. Amy Winehouse, we constantly heard the word rehab. A lot of her songs were referencing to alcohol. Maybe in his later records, he just mashed his forehead on the keys of the piano a bunch. Who knows? Crescendo, 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 forehead on cello. Yep, that says it all. There was a lot of talent on that list. A lot of talent that was not fulfilled. They had a lot of art left inside them. It was cut short by a very addictive substance, alcohol. But before we hear from our interviewee, I'd like to end this segment on a positive note. Did you know that the peregrine falcon is no longer on the endangered species list? That's crazy. Yeah, I know it's not really relevant. I was trying to think of a positive outcome of all those great, talented musicians that have passed away due to alcohol, but I couldn't think of one, so I threw in the tidbit about the Peregrine Falcon. But the more I think about it, there can be some good that comes from those tragic results. Yep, those stories can help people, and we can learn from them. Now let's hear from interviewee, Julie. Julie, how are you?
1: I'm great, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Julie, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober?
1: I have been sober 118 days today.
0: How many seconds would that be? Just out of curiosity, would you have to know that?
1: <laughs> you know my trick. It's more than 10 million seconds, Paul. So I'll tell the story for your listeners. I found this website. It's called timeanddate.com, and I can calculate my sobriety in seconds, hours, minutes, days, months, it's, and percentage of the year that I've been sober, which is something like 30-some percent of the year.
0: Wow, that'd be pretty cool if you could do, like, (laughs) what percentage of my life have I been... Exactly.
1: Well, you could. You could. You could do that. That's really cool. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, Julie, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, are you married, and uh, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Sure. I am 46. I grew up in two places. I grew up just outside of Annapolis, Maryland, and also uh, on an Air Force base in Germany, where I started drinking, as a matter of fact. I am in marketing I've been with the same company almost 20 years and I I'm really lucky. I love my job. I do a lot of creative things. I I get to write most of the day and I also manage a team of marketers which I which I find pretty rewarding too. I am uh, I'm on my 4th year in a relationship with a great guy who is a normal drinker and for fun I like to be outside. So I love hiking, I love boating, I love swimming. I have a dog and a horse, so I'm really active with my dog, and I, I love to go riding my horse on you know, in the evenings when it's hot in the summer like this. So I like to stay pretty active, and I like to be outside.
0: Nice. That is so cool. And right now you've been sober for 118 days. We chatted before, or I think in an email you mentioned that you are almost to uncharted waters. Previously, you were sober 129 days before yeah. relapsing at a wedding. Yes. Yeah, so, so we're approaching last... there. What are you going to do different when you get to a 100 100-day, 129, or 10,300,007 seconds?
1: <laughs> that's a very good question, and so, and that's sort of my next milestone. You know, there are some people on the Cafe RE page, and I know we'll talk about that in a little bit, who don't count, and I, I really respect that. I, it makes a lot of sense to me, but for me, these milestones I find really helpful because it's sort of – you know, I was, a, I was a runner in high school, and so I, I learned sort of the next, you know, I, I trained myself on the next thing. So the next thing for me is 130 days, really, because last year I had 129, and I was, I guess, what you'd call white-knuckling it. So I was doing it on my own. I had no, no Facebook support, no in-person support. I just knew that it was time to stop, and I just did it cold turkey, which I, I would not recommend if anyone can help it. Um, my sober experience this time around is night and day, Um, just the level of support that I have uh, from the folks on Cafe RE and some other sober friends that I've made. It's made all the difference. So I guess the answer to your question is, um, I am reaching out and I will continue to reach out. And the other thing I do differently is I make myself accountable.
0: Hmm.
1: So I tell people, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm new to sobriety. So I'm, I'm, you know, careful and selective about who I tell just because, you know, I'm still sure. getting my ski legs. But I'm going on vacation in August, I'm going to a resort in Central America. And I've already told the friends that I'm going with that I'm not drinking. And I've only gotten support. In fact, one of them wrote back and said, good, I'm not drinking either. <laughs> so it's um, it's been really surprising to me how few people have... <laughs> Most people can drink. Most people don't think twice about it. Um, so... You know, saying I'm not going to drink on vacation, they're like, great, that's fine, don't drink. You know, it's it's not where I think I'd heard, if I'd heard that from a friend two years ago, I would have been like, what do you mean you're going to a resort and not drinking? So it's not as intimidating as I thought it would be to be accountable.
0: Yeah, and what did you think was going to be their reaction when you when you sent out that email?
1: Oh, I was really nervous. I thought, you know, they're going to say, well, it's an all-inclusive resort, the booze is free, but... You know we're all i mean we're all in our 40s and 50s at this point so not that any younger person would have more of a problem but the focus has has shifted somewhat uh, for that particular group so
0: you know i I thought i'd get a harder time yeah you thought you know and i i know i'll get to my email that i sent in a sec we think that our friends are just going to leave us and i had sent a similar email in 2010 to my college roommate saying hey i know it's pete's bachelor party i'm not going to be drinking in vegas but you you just said like you know we're in our forties our 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 points have shifted of like what we think is fun yeah that might be the case but they're also your friends and even when I was going to Las Vegas for a bachelor party one of my good friends I you know, I was like man I'm not going to be drinking is this okay he's like yeah right. cool dude whatever's best for yeah. you I'm here for you man and exactly I was blown away by his reaction he's like wow that was very uneventful damn it
1: <laughs> it feels really good it feels really good and. My two best girlfriends, who have been my two best girlfriends for more than 30 years, you know, they know I've been trying to stop for a while. And I texted them this week and I said, hey, you guys, it's it's over, over, like I'm done. And both of them were like, good for you. You know, they were, they were nothing but supportive. And I mean, these are girls I go wine tasting with and all that kind of stuff, so... It does feel really good.
0: Julie, you are using this to your advantage. And what I mean by that is you are tapping into the best filter that you have ever been given. It is the best way to figure out who's your real friend, who you want to spend your time with.
1: You have a very good point. You really do. You have a very good point. We went out on a boat last weekend. A a new couple of friends invited us out on their boat. And we'd been out to dinner once before. And I posted about this on, on on the Facebook page. But... You know, I I know that it was a little curious at this dinner that I was the only one not drinking, but I just didn't bring it up. And then when we went out on the boat with these new friends, I I kind of figured, all right, well, I like these people. We're going to be doing more stuff together. So I said, you know, I just I don't I don't drink. And it was a non-issue. But it's interesting. The one friend I have uh, who is having a hard time with it, and I've been getting help from the RE Facebook group about this, she told me. She said, you know, I feel like because you're not drinking, you're judging me drinking. And I said, absolutely not. I, I wish I could, you know, do your thing, drink or don't drink. It makes no difference to me. And it. And I'm lucky because people drinking around me happens to not be a trigger. This time, obviously, last year it was a trigger. I, I wouldn't have relapsed at this wedding I attended. But I, it opened my eyes to the fact that some people, you know, who who have a problem with us not drinking may feel somehow judged. Which, you know, may say more about them than about us, but it, it was, it was an eye-opener and it made, it's something I can be more sensitive to.
0: Julie, I've heard a lot of comments like that, but there's a little bit more information that needs to be teased out of a comment just like that. Number one, you know, are they really your friends? Are they only hanging Mm -hmm. out with you because you're just a wine buddy or Mm -hmm. the information that you need to, maybe asking the question is what I found is that usually they suspect they have a drinking problem themselves. Would you suspect that with that person? Does that make any I sense? I do.
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I do. And I love her dearly. And, you know, I I would not be surprised if at some point in the future she wants to know more about my decision. But for now, I, you know, I'm being a little careful with that one because I, you know, value her friendship, but I, I have to put my own sobriety and health first right now.
0: Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And I want to talk about the previous 129 days. when You mm-hmm. said you're white knuckling it. Uh, that was me for two and a half years. I was Gosh. just a dry drunk. A yeah, total dry it's hard. Drunk. Yeah. So what happened? You heard "Canon and D" at the wedding, and it's just you just got to drink. It's such a sad and beautiful song at the same time.
1: <laughs> well, so I have some really, really lovely, lovely friends um, in Europe, and I was invited to this wedding. And you know, these are these are friends I've always been drinking with. I mean, that's just you know, that's just what we did. And I, and two of them got married and I went to the wedding and you know, what's really sad, Paul, is I, when I was on the plane flying there, I knew I was going to drink. Oh yeah. I knew it. And I, today I would still go to the wedding, but I would be so accountable. I would tell everyone, everyone I could that I wasn't going to drink there. I would tell, you know, my fellow wedding guests, I would just make myself more accountable
0: did drinking at that wedding enhance the wedding, make it more enjoyable or less?
1: Oh, less. And you know, and then once I drank again, it was on. I mean, then I started just just where I'd left off. So, that's the thing I hadn't realized about our problem is that it's progressive. So, if I drank today, which I'm not going to, I would pick right up where I left off. And it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't back dial. It doesn't uh, get easier. It doesn't um, diminish. And that's what happened to me at that wedding. So I remember flying home from that wedding, you know, big wide body jet, and a really nice airline. And uh, I went back to the galley to get a glass of wine and there wasn't a flight attendant there. So I poured myself my own.
0: Yeah, we got, I good like, move. I've, I've done that
1: before. <laughs> but I was like, that's just sad. Like, I couldn't wait for her to come to my seat. So, you know, and then and then it was it was on again. And I was really disappointed in myself. And when I found this podcast and this group, I I'm just I'm having such a different experience.
0: Yeah. And the, the really disappointed in myself thing and what I know now, like that never needed to happen. I've got a Mm -hmm. similar experience. I went to one of my best friend's wedding in Mexico city in 2014 and I was accountable. Like all my friends knew that I was trying to quit drinking and I made it Thursday night, Friday and then Saturday night, actually Sunday morning around 1 p.m., it turns out weddings in Mexico, they don't stop till like 6 a.m. <laughs> I made it like 90% of this wedding sober. Mm-hmm. But something happened. And from like 1 a.m. to like 5.45 in the morning, yeah. I mean, I consumed a whole hell of a lot of tequila.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, the next day, like, like the bus broke down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and
0: like the next day was absolutely miserable. And a couple of months later, my best friend, he's like, dude, do you remember when our bus broke down back to the Mexico city airport? Like I had to switch buses. It was like 105 degrees. He's like, you're so lucky you weren't hung over. And I'm like, dude, Brady, you have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> right.
1: right. And like hearing that now, hearing your story now, being like hung over on a bus in Mexico city in like the heat of the summer sounds like the worst possible thing. like, you know like why do we do this to ourselves or why did we
0: yeah and that is painful enough just the physical pain and and breathing that air down there but also the self-loathing like you said i was yeah. so ashamed i couldn't look at myself in the mirror yeah i couldn't talk to my friends and you know and that is kind of when i started telling reaching out to other people and that was july yeah i got sober like two months later And gosh, it's tough. But talk to me about the podcast title Recovery Elevator. Talk to me about your bottom or what really brought you to the reason that you thought you needed to quit drinking.
1: Sure. So the reason is a really good one, I think, Um, this this time around. I let down a friend. So um, it was April Fool's Day. I have a friend who has some back problems and she needed some help. Listing some things and I had promised to help her at a certain time and I drank and I passed out and I slept through my commitment and she was really hurt and I just, I was like, that's not who I am. That's just not the kind of person I I think I am and that's not the kind of person I want to be and it's not the kind of friend I am. And despite many, many, many other uh, signs to quit and embarrassing things and horrifying things that somehow didn't get me to quit or didn't get me to quit for very long. So I had, I had what I, what I believe is a pretty typical pattern of like, I'd be able to stop for three days or six days or sometimes 10 days, but not usually that long, you know, so I would do something embarrassing and, and stop. But when that happened, it was just such a seismic reminder to me that that's just not who I am or who I, who I want to be. And I, that was all it took. That was all it took. I, that was my last drink.
0: Wow, nice job. And and you didn't let you know after five or six days the addiction didn't tell you in, in your own voice, like, hey Julie, like it's been six days. There's no way we have a drinking problem. Let's let's yeah. go out again. That and,
1: voice talked to me a lot in that you know, and told me told me that all the time. And I think this time I just was I just knew. I just knew so, it was
0: time to stop. Yeah, and so what was your drinking habits like leading up to hundred and eighteen days ago? How much did sure. you drink?
1: So I'm I was a wine drinker. I liked white wine and I liked red wine equally. And when when one would present a problem for me, I would decide it was the color of the wine, and I'd switch to the other color wine. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I can drink red but not white, or I can drink white but I can but not red. Totally. Um, so always wine with me. I never. I I don't like beer, and um, so you know, I can have beer in my refrigerator, and I won't. You know, I I wouldn't touch it for a year um, it's, I just don't like it. And same thing for the most part with hard alcohol. So my problem was a wine problem going back, you know, quite a ways. I, I started drinking in high school, like, like a lot of people, I think. And I'm, I'm this surprises people because of what I do for a living, but I'm actually a pretty introverted person. And I felt like in high school, my shyness was, was hurting me, which was, which was wrong, but you know, I was 16. And so I drank to kind of loosen up and, you know, to, to fit in with, cool people. And, you know, and, and I think my drinking was probably pretty normal aside from the fact that I was underage. And, you know, that kind of continued through college. And then I would be the person who would pass out at a party. You know, I'd be the one sleeping on the couch. There's always one of those people at the party. And that was me. <laughs> you know, so not doing anything really, really bad at that point, but just not, not able to handle my liquor and, or wine, excuse me. And it never occurred to me that I had a problem. And at that point, maybe I didn't, but sh- certainly the signs were there. And then in my thirties, you know, there's a period where that type of drinking continued. and then it got it got pretty scary. I guess when I was about 38, where I was I started drinking alone. you know, up till then it had been social. It had been at parties, and I could go days and days without drinking. it was fine. But um, at that point, I was living in my own condo in a resort community, and I had a lot of other single girlfriends in that same community. We didn't have to drive to drink. And so there was a lot of drinking going on there. And I just kind of took the ball and ran with it. You know, I would drink alone. And then it got to the point where I wanted to drink, you know, most days, it wasn't just a weekend thing. And from there, like some scary things started happening where I I would black out routinely, I would just lose memory completely. And, uh, you know, I was lucky I didn't, I didn't get sick. I didn't throw up and I didn't really get bad hangovers, but I, my thing was passing out and blacking out. And I'd also wake up with some bruises and I was like, how in the hell did that happen? You know, I, so definitely the signs were there at that point. I was like, all right, I need to, at that point, I never said I need to quit, but I was like, I need to really dial it back. I don't think I realized until the last few years. And I started reading and educating myself about alcohol and alcoholism that I realized that. You know, this is a really progressive, really dangerous.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about cutting it back for a second. Did you Mm -hmm. ever try to do that and like put rules in place?
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah, I think absolutely. So like the white wine, red wine thing I told you. Yeah, I mean, that was my thing. I I blame it on the wine, the color of wine. But, yeah, you know, I did the thing that I think, gosh, like everyone I've talked to has done where it's like, oh, okay, I'll I'll just drink Friday and Saturday or I won't drink, you know, after or I won't drink before 5 p.m. And if you keep at this long enough, those deals you make with yourself they go away, and you just don't care. And you know, I also love the social excuse to drink. So if I if I had a baby shower at 11 o'clock in the morning, and they had the most, I was like, you know, game on. But I mean, who gets drunk at a baby shower?
0: But I thought you know. a lot of people did. I don't know. I've, I've never been to one.
1: Well, that's that's true. That's true. But you or maybe yeah, not
0: blacked like, out at a baby shower, but yeah, I guess you're right.
1: But like when when you stop drinking, you realize. You might have been the only person drinking at the baby shower, or drinking heavily. Heavily. So yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, isn't it crazy when you stop drinking and you're at a social event? You're like, wait a second, Mindy, she's only had two beers. Like, all my other (laughs) friends, yeah, they're shutting it down after one, two beers. Like, oh
1: yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Well, when I go out to dinner with my boyfriend, you know, he'll have a beer or water. Like, he doesn't really care. And if he has a beer, he might switch to water. And I'm just like, I don't tell him this because he doesn't have a problem. But I'm like, how? That's like a a party trick. That's like magic. I can't do <laughs> a party that. Party
0: trick. That's magic. Yeah. I love it. Like the magic <laughs> rings. Yeah, I remember when I when I first stopped drinking, I would look at people almost with disgust of like, How in the hell are you able to I mean, just getting angry in myself.
1: Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. I get it. Well, I so we talked about the first week I was sober and you asked how that went. Part of the reason it went so well is because I purely coincidentally, I was hiking in the Grand Canyon my first week sober. So I got sober and then I think like two or three days later I flew out to hike the Grand Canyon and I was like, well, this will be a piece of cake because there's no alcohol in the Grand Canyon. But there is. There is, uh, at the bottom, there is a place called Bright Angel Lodge and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. But for two hours, some nights they do serve wine and beer. And the reason I didn't drink is because, well, number one, I was proud of my new sobriety and I wasn't going to jeopardize it. But number two, I was like, well, two hours is not nearly long enough like i 'm not going to be able to do any meaningful drinking in two hours
0: yeah what 's the point
1: correct so yeah. so that went fine
0: yeah what 's the point point? and you mentioned mm-hmm. the, the timing worked out well for you, and you know there is no good time to get sober. You just might as well do it, but you mm-hmm. can actually put strategic times in place you don 't want to be like detoxing while you 're walking down five thousand two hundred and fifty feet into the Grand Canyon you know, correct. The River Basin. But, yep. you can actually find a strategic time when, okay, I do have a week off of work, or okay, like you know it's this is not a stressful time of the year, but in the end, like it doesn't really matter like if today is the very best day to quit alcohol in fact, today is you have the very best chances of quitting alcohol because just like you said earlier, Julie is this is a progressive thing,
1: mm-hmm, and what you say is very true, there's no better time than right now and. Before I got sober, I listened to your podcast. I mean, I still do, obviously, but I listened to it long before I was able to quit. And I remember thinking, I will never be like those people. I'll never be able to do it. And, and that that's is, wrong. That's that's a wrong. You
0: sinking a terrible feeling to have. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when you're like focusing on the differences. Well, I'm never yep. going to be able to do that because, well, you know, that person drives a Camry and they live in Georgia. That's no way. That's right. not me.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's very true, and I remember I remember standing on my front porch and thinking, "Drinking is my biggest problem in life. I mm. so wish I could stop because if I were able to stop drinking, so much would be better." And I knew that intuitively. I knew that, and I just couldn't stop. And I was right. Once I stopped, things got so much better. And th- and I was lucky. You know, I had what they call a high bottom, you know, I never had any problems like work wise or with the law. But for sure, my health was suffering and my anxiety was through the roof. And I used to tell myself, oh, I drink because I'm an anxious person. Well, actually, it was the opposite. <laughs> I was an anxious person because I drank. God, and my anxiety is, out. like, gone, Yeah. which I don't mean, mean, mean to make it sound like it's a picnic because what you find um, after you stop, and you would know this, and we talk about this a lot on the Cafe RE page, is that then all these feelings that you were suppressing – Maybe the reason you drank in the first place, those are still there and you still have to sort through them. And that that can be really hard, but it's also really rewarding.
0: Yeah. And walk me through uh, the, um, the months before 118 days ago. So you realize you're like, okay, I want to quit drinking. I have not been able to successfully personally control this. So I'm guessing you went to Dr. Google and started doing some research and, and read <laughs> some book titles, but also... Yeah. I'm guessing like 50 to 60 percent of the listeners right now have never stepped foot into an AA meeting, and you—I don't think that has been your route either. A 12-step program, am I correct on that?
1: That's correct. I I chose not to do that for you know for for a number of reasons, and I'm not saying they're good reasons. There are a number of people on our Facebook page who have incredible success with AA, and my philosophy is whatever works for you, grab it and go with it. And so AA has not been part of my past, but we have a lot of people that post about AA, um, you know, thinking and learning. And I, I really, I value that. And I take a lot from it, especially as I'm getting into some of this more emotional territory with getting sober. But, you know, what I do, so I, I'm, I'm really a fan of outreach. And so making sober friends of which, you know, I've been doing quite a bit and meeting for coffee and going hiking and having dinner. And I've been able to do that with a number of people on the Facebook page. And you know, I'm not shy about it. I'll, I'm, I'll say, hey, I'm in Chicago. Let's have dinner.
0: And oh, that is so cool.
1: I love it. It's one of the great things about my business travel is I get to meet people all over the place. And to a person, every single person I have reached out to has, number one, been thrilled with the idea, number two, shown up, and number three, we've had the most amazing conversations and stayed in touch. So those those are those are tools. Well, I won't say they're tools because it's you know it's friendships, but um, that's a big part of my recovery. As is um, your podcast and a few other podcasts. I, I read a lot of books about sobriety. I read a lot of people's biographies. And I did tell my my doctor. I did tell my general practitioner uh, that I had a problem. So when and your
0: general he, practitioner asked you, Julie, how much are you drinking? What was your response?
1: I told him. I said I'm having like four glasses of wine a day. And that was probably at the end a conservative estimate. You know, you'd asked earlier about games like that you play with yourself. And my big game was I wouldn't keep alcohol in the house, so I never had wine in the house. I I had to go get it, and I wouldn't drive drunk. I had I had that going for me. So my whole evening was this like calculus of when do I need to go to the wine store to buy my one glass of wine, and it just it was so much work and
0: exhausting. Um,
1: Oh, it was so exhausting. And I remember hearing you say, you know, you had this choice of whether you would go buy beer or go to bed. And I had the same thing going on where I'd say, all right, well, it's 8 o'clock. The liquor store closes at 9. If I don't get my wine now, I i won't get to drink tonight. Just really kind of sad, honestly.
0: Oh, that lifestyle sucks. Yeah. Uh, it's, I lived it's it. So,
1: it's so much work. And, totally.
0: Uh, it's exhausting. It's a lot of work.
1: It really is. So, yeah, so in recovery, I, you know, I. I have a lot more free time and so I'm doing more healthy constructive things. And that includes a lot of time on Cafe R E. Um, which for anyone who doesn't know is the is the secret you know, private Facebook page that we have. Um, which has yeah, about 130 a hundred. It's members. a secret,
0: Julia. Be, keep, keep it down. It's a secret. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, <laughs> it's not it's um, not secret. It's it's unsearchable, but yeah, unsearchable. No, it's got kind of a funny I said that.
1: Yeah. Sorry. You'll have to you'll have to clarify that I I hope more people will join. I hope people will hear this and join because it's that group of people has really um, made all the difference for me this time around.
0: Yeah. And, and listeners like I, I, Julia, I think it's great that it's such a great resource to you. I love the group and the community, but I try to find uh, interv- like a mix of people to do interviews with and mm-hmm. I'm glad you're talking about it. But listeners, it's like, I'm not finding people in the group that I'm, you know, before the interview, I'm like, Hey, let's just like boost the, you know, mm-hmm. like we're going to do a marketing ploy right here. You know, at the beginning of the interview, like God, <laughs> I'm a marketing, you know, that's an industry yep. I'm in. And, well, that's what i do so a pretty cool resource, that's what
1: i do i spread the word so you know it's it worked for me it it works for me it's a really good resource
0: julie it it works for me yeah yeah I, I it works for me and i've seen it in the group there are people posting this like hey i've been to rehab 5 times i've never made it this far and oh yeah And you've already said it earlier in this podcast. For me, the most important thing is the community. It's exactly what it is. You're flying to Chicago. You're meeting up with these people and instantly there's a spark because it's communal, right?
1: Yes, it is. And you know what's funny? I never would have imagined this, but, and people are going to hear this and think there's no way, but I honestly have more fun at those dinners than I ever did drinking. It's, <laughs> it's where there's so much to talk about. And it's not that we're talking about not drinking. We're talking about other things, you know, people's families, people's kids, people's jobs. But, you know, those dinners last three and four hours with not a drop of alcohol consumed. And like, you know, that, that laughter when your face hurts, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And it sounds so Pollyanna, but it's really true.
0: Well, you get to friendship level 10, in, in 20 minutes before you have to hang out with somebody like at least three, four years, have a ton of drunken escapades with them yep. before you get to that level.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's, it's very true. Yeah. So That's I really so value cool. that.
0: Yeah. And Julie, we have reached the rapid fire <laughs> round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you of ready?
1: Of course. Yes, I am ready.
0: I love it. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: Oh, uh, this is so embarrassing, but I'm going to be honest. I passed out in an Uber. I had done the responsible thing and hired an Uber to drive me home from a bar, but I, I passed out in the Uber and the driver couldn't wake me up when we got to my house, so he called an ambulance.
0: Oh, yeah. I love it. I love
1: it's it. so It's so horrifying, but I'm, you know what, I'm so grateful for that guy because it could have gone a way worse way, so.
0: Seriously, seriously. Next question, we've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating you couldn't control your drinking?
1: Yep, I did. I had just a couple of these, and that's when I knew it was really time to stop. Um, my habit toward the end of my drinking was I would just have a glass of. Like I'd take a. a I'd take my wine to bed because I wanted to be safe. So I'd, you know, <laughs> my my logic was, oh, I'll get in bed and drink. Which I mean, come on, like. <laughs> so I would I would do that, and if I'd wake up at like you know six a.m. or three a.m. or whatever, and there was wine left in the bottle, I would have another glass. Yep. And that was I was like, all right you know, that's, that's, you're getting to a place of dependency and that happened maybe two or three times. And that was my shit moment.
0: And what was awaiting you, Julie, if you do drink again, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, even if that glass of wine or alcohol is next to the bed or not, you'll get up and go drink it. Cause I got to the point where I just couldn't sleep without alcohol. Oh,
1: God. It's terrible. Yeah.
0: Next question. Yeah. What's your plan in sobriety moving forward?
1: So I, I really like my program that I've sort of created, self-created for myself, um, and I want to keep it up. So I'm going to stick with Cafe RE, the Facebook page, and I'm really going to ramp up the outreach. Meeting people, talking with people in person is, is huge for me. Like today, talking with you, like this will sustain me. Like this is my great, awesome thing for the day in terms of community. And I, you know, I'd like to do something like this more days than not.
0: This is actually what my recovery portfolio looks like, too. Exactly. You turned
1: it into a podcast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Next question. What's your favorite resource in recovery? And you can't say Cafe Ari. I'm sorry. I
1: I can't. Okay. So I will tell you, because I have a note here. There was something else I wanted to mention. I talked about reading, and there's a book called Drinking a Love Story, and it's written by a woman who unfortunately has passed away. Her name was Caroline Knapp. And she's a woman who would be about my age right now had she lived a little bit older. And she wrote about her drinking struggle in a way that I completely identified with. And I was like, that is me. You know, the city's different. The job is different. But that is my story. And I've read that book three or four times, probably more cover Uh to cover. So I would say that's my favorite resource.
0: Yeah, how did she die? I just out of curiosity.
1: She died of cancer that I understand was unrelated to drinking, and she had managed to get several years of sobriety before she died. And her best friend is a, is another writer named Gail Caldwell, and Gail Caldwell wrote a tribute book to Caroline called "The Long Way Home" or "Let's Take the Long Way Home," mm. about their friendship and sobriety, and it is it's a really beautiful book, and it it gives you hope. That if you're struggling with something like this, um, it shows you what's on the other side.
0: Nice. In regards to sobriety, Julie, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: It's really simple. I really thought about this question, but it's really simple, and that is just that life is better sober. And I would not have believed that until I got here. You know, I thought drinking made life so much easier and made me more able to deal with problems. It actually is just the opposite. It just makes life so much harder. So. Yeah, you know, the advice that I got was, you know, life is better sober. You know, I don't have any more shame. I, I, it's just a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Um, it's really, uh, I realize I'm sounding a little bit like a pink cloud person here, which I guess is what, um, what you call like, somebody who's just mindlessly happy. But I'm not. It's just that my life is much better than it was when I was drinking.
0: Yeah, pink cloud or not, if you do the external validity test, yeah, mm-hmm. when I was a kid and I didn't drink for like 15 years, life yeah. was freaking awesome.
1: Right. Yeah, right.
0: life was a hell of exactly. a lot better at that point than when I was drinking.
1: It yeah. was. It hey. was.
0: And next question, Julie. What advice do you have for somebody who's wanting to quit drinking?
1: That you you can do it. It is it is absolutely doable. Like I said earlier, I would hear this podcast and I think, well, you know, great for them. They have more more resolve than <laughs> I for do. Them. More, Yeah. Like I was like, that's amazing. You know, I'm happy for that person, but I, I, there's something special or different or unique about me that I won't be able to do that. And I was wrong. It, if you're somebody listening to this and you think there's just no way in hell I can ever stop drinking, you just can, you know, and I don't mean to, to be flippant about this because I realize, you know, I'm in early sobriety. I've, you know, just got under four months. I need to be really vigilant and I never take this for granted but it it is doable it is definitely doable if you especially if you set up the right resources
0: Julie you're not out of the woods but this nope. just in I'm not out of the woods yet and we really don't come out of the woods that's totally fine right. because we're right. not alone in the woods there's a ton of us and we have three conversations at dinner time with people we don't know and it's a blast
1: yeah and you know the other thing the people I met in recovery are amazing people they are really smart, really accomplished people. You know, I guess ten years ago I had the I had the wrong perception that people with drinking problems were, you know, sort of derelict. Not true. Not even close to true. Not even um,
0: close. And I got three so, more questions for you. Oh go throw for these it. On sure. you. Julie sure. what did
1: you lose to alcohol? I lost two important things. I lost a lot of self respect. Check. You know? on a daily basis when I would drink and I'd think, why, you know, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get this? And I lost time. I lost time. I drank away hours. I lost evenings to red wine. And those were two hard things to lose. But the good news is that as soon as you stop, you get those back. Like I quit drinking on a Friday or Saturday. And by Tuesday, I was hiking in the Grand Canyon and I was so proud of myself. So it doesn't linger. That that shame, that loss of self-respect, it comes right back.
0: Julie, what's advice that you would give to your younger self?
1: I wish I'd never started drinking. You know, I started drinking because I wanted to be—I wanted to be more outgoing. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to fit in, and I never needed to. You know, I was—I was—I was just fine the way I was. You know, how sometimes you, you look at a teenager or you look at a kid and you think how amazing that person is. You know, I look at my niece and I think you don't have any idea how cool you are. You know, I wish I wish I had seen that about myself when I was 16, but, you know, it took, it took 30 years. <laughs>
0: yeah. And Julie, what's on your bucket list?
1: Oh, gosh. So I love to travel. I turn 50 in a few years, and my goal is to have visited 50 countries by the time I'm 50, and I have like six more to go. Wow. Uh, so I have a lot of traveling I want to do in the next three years, including, in particular, the Galapagos, and uh, I want to go on a safari in Africa. And you can't be drunk
0: on a safari. No, I went to Ecuador, and there was a group. There was a group I was traveling with that went to the Galapagos, and no uh-huh. joke. I was like, yeah, I think I'd rather party in Quito. Oh,
1: gosh. It was a good time, yep. but you get the point. Yep. Have yeah, you been I to Peru? It.
0: You probably have.
1: No, I haven't. Whoa! I haven't. You know, we're
0: recovery elevator. We're doing a trip in April.
1: I know. I might want to go. I couldn't do it when you guys were going this fall and when you moved it to April I thought, uh, that's a definite possibility now for
0: me. Well, yeah, Julie, I actually saw your post saying, Darn it guys, I can't do it now. Maybe in April. Oh. And so I, I, I like called the hotels, everybody, the right. travel I was like, Look, this girl Julie can't do it till April <laughs> and so I right, have well, to go now.
1: Here's some accountability for you then. I I, I will I will I will seriously look into it.
0: Oh, you, you almost about did it. You almost about said you're going to do it. No, I understand. <laughs> Anything can happen. So,
1: No, if, I think we can count me in. I do.
0: Okay. I think we could possibly maybe count you in. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> no, I understand. big—that's <laughs> a I'm, big, I'm big 100 percent on
1: this. <laughs> fully
0: commit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bef- and before we go, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic gift line. Oh,
1: gosh. I have a good one. So I used to take those online tests all the time to find out if I was an alcoholic and like, you know, you answer a bunch of questions and then it says, you got eight, you're an alcoholic. (laughs) Um, So I was on this quest to find a test that would tell me I was not an alcoholic. I've probably taken like 10 of those tests and every single one told me I had a problem. (laughs) So you might be an alcoholic if you shop for the test online that's going to tell you you're not an alcoholic. (laughs)
0: That's hilarious. And then you come to the conclusion that all these tests are wrong.
1: Oh, yeah. I was like, well, you know, clearly there's a flaw in this test methodology because I don't have a problem. Yeah. And then I would always seize on the one answer that I didn't get. So I was like, well, you know, I don't like, you know, whatever the thing was, you know, I don't do that. So I'm fine.
0: Yeah. I no longer hold Stanford and the high Mm -hmm. esteemed that I used to because their alcohol dependency test is definitely wrong
1: exactly
0: definitely definitely wrong well julie thank you so much for joining us we're gonna have a great time in peru it's gonna be awesome yes
1: we are thank you paul thanks for inviting me i'm really happy to do this and um, wish everybody well that's listening
0: thank you before we dive deeper into one of those musicians let's hear from cafe re before i got sober i felt alone it felt like i was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once i had started With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Now let's talk a little bit more in depth about Miss Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse won five Grammy Awards for her 2006 album Back to Black and is remembered for songs like Rehab, Back to Black, not to be confused by the ACDC hit Back in Black, and also she wrote Valerie. She died in 2011 at age 27. When listening to Amy Winehouse's songs, you don't need to sit there with a pen and paper to realize that she struggled with drugs and alcohol. It was a huge part of her life. So let's fast forward it to the comeback and then the downfall. Regardless of personal setbacks, 2009 proved to be a crazy good year for Amy Winehouse. Professionally, shall we say. In 2008, she released the album Back to Black, which was declared the second highest selling album in the world. Holy cow. And in 2009, she earned entry into the Guinness Book of World Records for most Grammy awards won by a British female act. I think only Beyonce has more than her at this moment. I could be wrong, but I think that's right. But the wheels tragically came off on July 23rd, 2011, which is called an accidental overdose with alcohol. As for the exact numbers, the coroners found that her blood level was at 416 milligrams of alcohol per 100 milliliters of blood, which would basically be a 0.41. The legal limit, 0.8. British coroner Suzanne Greenway announced that the 27-year-old female singer died of a death by misadventure, and that her passing was an unintended consequence of accidental alcohol poisoning. Hmm. When I first read the unintended accidental alcohol poisoning, I was a little hesitant to buy into that theory, but then I thought back to my time in Spain. When I owned a bar from 2005 to 2008, I drank my face off. When I started drinking, I couldn't stop. There were times when I woke up in the morning and I would find bottles in my room that I didn't remember finishing in the middle of the night very easily, and this possibly should have happened. The powerful combination of Ambien and a ton of booze, I would kiss the night goodbye. Audios consciousness, I'm passing out for hopefully 15 hours. But what would happen, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, probably two hours after I went to bed, and just start drinking. I wouldn't even know I did it. Just start drinking. I couldn't sleep without it. It became a habit. I didn't even really know I was doing it. These days, I night eat. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I say, whoa, I had three bowls of Cinnamon Toast Crunch last night. I'll take this over that any day. Plus, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is freaking delicious. So, yeah, that could have been me. That would have been the same thing. They'd have interviewed my roommates and been like, well, no, I don't, I don't think he's suicidal. I don't, I don't think so. We were at a club last night. It was a hell of a lot of fun. And, yep, my parents would have received a call saying that I died of an accidental overdose. Tragic indeed, but it happens. Happened, and it will continue to happen, unfortunately. Happens more than we think it does. So before we depart, I'd like to end this podcast on a bright note. Did you guys know that the swift fox is also no longer on the endangered species list? Holy buckets, that's so cool. No, but really, these stories can help. I'm one that has to learn a lot of lessons the hard way, from my own experiences, but this is one I'm going to learn from Amy. Recovery elevator, we took the elevator down, we gotta take the stairs back up. We can do this. Oh yeah, and thank you very much Chris Martin for the song Fix You, best song ever.